Welcome to Nightfall Narratives, the podcast that goes where shadows and stories intersect to explore the eerie and enigmatic. Join us as we journey into the heart of the unknown, immersing ourselves in tales of suspense and terror. In each episode, we'll either read a spine-tingling tale, or we'll take a closer look at the art of writing, unraveling the mysteries of storycraft that make such tales so eerily effective. So, sit back, relax, and feel the embrace of the mysterious as we embark on this journey into the heart of the night. Welcome yet again to another episode of Nightfall Narratives, with me, your Nightfall narrator, R. Douglas Patton. In this episode, we'll read the fifth and final chapter of the classic tale, The Willows by Algernon Blackwood. Be sure also to stick around, of course, for the follow-up episode, as we'll discuss scapegoating and sensory deprivation, and how these can affect a character's psychological health, and how Blackwood used these to great effect in the story. We'll also discuss how you can implement these tools in your own tale-telling. So now, without any further fanfare, Nightfall Narratives presents The Willows by Algernon Blackwood Chapter 5 It was my firm intention to lie awake all night and watch, but the exhaustion of nerves and body decreed otherwise and sleep after a while came over me with a welcome blanket of oblivion. The fact that my companion also slept quickened its approach. At first he fidgeted and constantly sat up, asking me if I heard this or heard that. He tossed about on his cork mattress and said the tent was moving and the river had risen over the point of the island. But each time I went out to look, I returned with the report that all was well, and finally he grew calmer and lay still. Then at length his breathing became regular, and I heard unmistakable sounds of snoring. The first and only time in my life when snoring has been a welcome and calming influence. This, I remember, was the last thought in my mind before dozing off. A difficulty in breathing woke me, and I found the blanket over my face, but something else besides the blanket was pressing upon me and my first thought was that my companion had rolled off his mattress and onto my own in his sleep. I called out to him and sat up, and at the same moment it came to me that the tent was surrounded. That sound of multitudinous soft pattering was again audible outside, filling the night with horror. I called again to him, louder than before. He did not answer, but I missed the sound of his snoring, and also noticed that the flap of the tent was down. This was the unpardonable sin. I crawled out in the darkness to hook it back securely, and it was then for the first time I realized positively that the Swede was not there. He had gone. I dashed out in a mad run, seized by a dreadful agitation, and the moment I was out I plunged into a sort of torrent of humming that surrounded me completely and came out of every quarter of the heavens at once. It was that same familiar humming gone mad. A swarm of great invisible bees might have been about me in the air. The sound seemed to thicken the very atmosphere, and I felt that my lungs worked with difficulty. But my friend was in danger, and I could not hesitate. The dawn was just about to break, and a faint whitish light spread upwards over the clouds from a thin strip of clear horizon. No wind stirred, 
I could just make out the bushes and river beyond, and the pale, sandy patches. In my excitement, I ran frantically to and fro about the island, calling him by name, shouting at the top of my voice the first words that came into my head. But the willows smothered my voice, and the humming muffled it, so that the sound only traveled a few feet round me. I plunged among the bushes, tripping headlong, tumbling over roots, and scraping my face as I tore this way and that among the preventing branches. Then, quite unexpectedly, I came out upon the island's point and saw a dark figure outlined between the water and the sky. It was the Swede, and already he had one foot in the river. A moment more and he would have taken the plunge. I threw myself upon him, flinging my arms about his waist and dragging him shorewards with all my strength. Of course he struggled furiously, making a noise all the time just like that cursed humming, and using the most outlandish phrases in his anger about going inside to them, and using the most outlandish phrases in his anger about going inside to them, and taking the way out of the water and the wind. And God only knows what more besides, that I tried in vain to recall afterwards, but which turned me sick with horror and amazement as I listened. But in the end I managed to get him into the comparative safety of the tent, and flung him breathless and cursing upon the mattress where I held him until the fit had passed. I think the suddenness with which it all went and he grew calm, coinciding, as it did, with the equally abrupt cessation of the humming and pattering outside. I think this was almost the strangest part of the whole business, perhaps, for he had just opened his eyes and turned his tired face up to me, so that the dawn threw a pale light upon it through the doorway, and said, for all the world, just like a frightened child, My life, old man! It's my life, I owe you! But it's all over now, anyhow. They've found a victim in our place. Then he dropped back upon his blankets and went to sleep literally under my eyes. He simply collapsed, and began to snore again as healthily as though nothing had happened, and he had never tried to offer his own life as a sacrifice by drowning. And when the sunlight woke him three hours later, hours of ceaseless vigil for me, it became so clear to me that he remembered absolutely nothing of what he had attempted to do, that I deemed it wise to hold my peace and ask no dangerous questions. He woke naturally and easily, as I have said, when the sun was already high in a windless hot sky, and he at once got up and set about the preparations of the fire for breakfast. I followed him anxiously at bathing, but he did not attempt to plunge in, merely dipping his head and making some remark about the extra coldness of the water. "'River's falling at last,' he said, "'and I'm glad of it.' "'The humming has stopped too,' I said." He looked up at me quietly with his normal expression. Evidently, he remembered everything except his own attempt at suicide. Everything has stopped, he said, because... He hesitated, but I knew some reference to that remark he had made just before he fainted was in his mind, and I was determined to know it. Because they found another victim, I said, forcing a little laugh. Exactly. He answered, exactly, I feel as positive of it as though, as though, I feel quite safe again, I mean, he finished. He began to look curiously about him. The sunlight lay in hot patches on the sand. There was no wind, and the willows were motionless. 
He slowly rose to feet. Come, he said. I think if we look we shall find it. He started off on a run, and I followed him. He kept to the banks, poking with a stick among the sandy bays and caves and little black waters, myself always close on his heels. Ah! he exclaimed presently. Ah! The tone of his voice somehow brought back to me a vivid sense of the horror of the last twenty-four hours, and I hurried up to join him. He was pointing with his stick at a large black object that lay half in the water and half on the sand. It appeared to be caught by some twisted willow roots so that the river could not sweep it away. A few hours before, the spot must have been underwater. See, he said quietly, the victim that made our escape possible. And when I peered across his shoulder, I saw that his stick rested on the body of a man. He turned it over. It was the corpse of a peasant, and the face was hidden in the sand. Clearly the man had been drowned but a few hours before and his body must have been swept down upon our island somewhere about the hour of the dawn, at the very time the fit had passed. We must give it some decent burial, you know. I suppose so, I replied. I shuddered a little in spite of myself, for there was something about the appearance of that poor drowned man that turned me cold. The Swede glanced up sharply at me, an undecipherable expression on his face, and began clambering down the bank. I followed him more leisurely. The current, I noticed, had worn away much of the clothing from the body, so that the neck and part of the chest lay bare. Halfway down the bank, my companion suddenly stopped and held up his hand in warning. But either my foot slipped, or I had gained too much momentum to bring myself quickly to a halt, for I bumped into him and sent him forward with a sort of leap to save himself. We tumbled together onto the hard sand so that our feet splashed into the water, and before anything could be done, we had collided a little heavily against the corpse. The Swede uttered a sharp cry, and I sprang back as if I had been shot. At the moment we touched the body, there rose from its surface the loud sound of humming, the sound of several hummings, which passed with a vast commotion as of winged things in the air about us and disappeared upwards into the sky growing fainter and fainter till they finally ceased in the distance. It was exactly as though we had disturbed some living yet invisible creatures at work. My companion clutched me, and I think I clutched him, but before either of us had time properly to recover from the unexpected shock, we saw that a movement of the current was turning the corpse round so that it became released from the grip of the willow roots. A moment later it had turned completely over, the dead face uppermost, staring at the sky. It lay on the edge of the main stream. In another moment, it would be swept away. The Swede started to save it, shouting again something I did not catch about a proper burial, and then abruptly dropped upon his knees on the sand and covered his eyes with his hands. I was beside him in an instant. I saw what he had seen, for just as the body swung round to the current, the face and the exposed chest turned full toward us, and showed us plainly how the skin and flesh were indented with small hollows, beautifully formed, and exactly similar in shape and kind to the sand funnels that we had found all over the island. Their mark, I heard my companion mutter under his breath, their awful mark. And when I turned my eyes again from his ghastly face to the river, the current had done its work. 
and the body had been swept away into midstream and was already beyond our reach and almost out of sight, turning over and over on the waves like an otter. As the shadows lengthen and the night falls, we come to the end of another episode of Nightfall Narratives. We hope you found our exploration of dark and mysterious storytelling and the art of writing thought-provoking and haunting. Remember, the stories we tell have the power to both chill us to the bone and inspire us to create our own. Join us again for our next episode, and until then, keep your eyes open and your mind curious, for anything is possible.